Philosophy Friday. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about the philosophy of ministry, <laughs> which is nothing, nice. nothing to do with <laughs> philosophy on Friday, but we're just doing whatever we want today. <laughs> Long time no speak. I know. It's been a while, man. I missed you. Yeah, I missed you too. Um, it's just unacceptable to be away from you for so long. You know, so weird. I know, man. I know. It was right. nearly two weeks without incident, though. That was crazy. Oh, dang. Yeah, but that, you know, I thought I would get to the end of this, these two weeks and say to like, do you know, it was so refreshing not being without internet. No, you know, yeah. it made me realize I had so much time for other things. I, I don't think that at all. It was hell. Like, it was honestly terrible. I just, because you need, good you need came three weeks for rehab. You have to have three weeks for rehab. I was did. just in the throes of, of withdrawals. Yeah. <laughs> you were getting junk sickness. And then you, you I mean, what, <laughs> obviously, when you give junk back to a guy who's got junk sickness, he's going to love it, you know? <laughs> he's going to love it. Well, I'm loving it. Nah, it's, it's, we're way beyond the, you can't, I mean, you can get off heroin, you can't get off the internet. There's no ways. Uh, we're half bionic, no, sure. you know, at, at yeah, this level. Totally. Our brains would stop working. You know, like the the dopamine wouldn't squirt like it should. <laughs> it doesn't. It depends on it depends on me looking at Facebook while I'm talking to you. <laughs> Truly. You know? Oh man. <laughs> so, um, so do you use Facebook to check on people? And is that your um, pastoral philosophy? My philosophy of ministry. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. But but sometimes it jumps out at me from Facebook <laughs> that I probably <laughs> should be paying attention to something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like when people are posting horoscopes on their Facebook pages <laughs> and, and they're members of my church. Yeah. <laughs> then I realize I'm dropping the ball somewhere, Mike. Totally, totally. Um, okay, cool. Now, seriously, you wrote um, a few blogs back um, a while ago, and um, uh, or a few posts, I should say, and um, they were about pastoral care, right? Yeah, exactly. And it just got me thinking. I was on this whole trip. Um, I just finished. Uh, I was kind of in the in the throes of writing a bit of a paper on uh, Gill's vision for pastoral ministry and just de- just deciding whether I liked it or not, you know. And it was just okay. And I, I was reading what, a lot of it resonated with what you were saying, and um, a lot of it I think is not said enough. Um, and it's it's very very important to get this right, but not only for pastors, for people who are going to church. Um, because well, they, they start those, eating a diet, yeah. right? And they start expecting a certain thing. And it does, it does muddy the waters. It turns it into a problem for pastors that want to stick to a certain biblical model, I think, um, and yet have you know, maybe been undercut in some ways by a more uh, immediately user-friendly kind of version of it um, at other churches. And, you know, they, they have an extra fight to fight in that way. But all these things are quite abstract unless we start talking about what this is. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's more serious than that because if you, if, you, um, if you allow a kind of faulty view of pastoral care and then you try and correct to go back to the biblical view, mm. people actually end up feeling unloved. Um, because of that, and so mm. you end up, you end up, if you if you don't correct these 
things in the you know then you actually end up building up a resistance to the biblical view of ministry mm. amongst your church mm. so that when someone comes along and tries to do a, a, something that's more biblical which you get into um the church actually reacts to that mm. and actually feels that it's unpleasant in much in the same way that if you get someone who um is preaching topically and feel good you know, um, self-help stuff. And then someone comes in with some hardcore expositional preaching mm-hmm. and the, the congregation reacts to that. Yeah. It's a good example. Um, because yeah. they've been, yeah, they, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. And even the preaching itself would fall under this whole rubric of, you know, pastoral care. Preaching and, is pastoral care yeah. in the traditional sense. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> I guess this is the big thing. So the big thing for me is that, um, when we, if you, I mean, you can try this. If you Google pastoral care, yeah, the first four or five hits have nothing to do with the church. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it before. Yeah, totally. Okay, so yeah, like it's, it's all to do with palliative care and um, yeah, it's like yeah. a university's yeah. pastoral care for its students or right. lecturers or pastoral care um, for staff members at a particular workplace. Or yeah. so the term pastoral care has it carries a certain set of meanings today. Um, and uh, that may or may not be helpful. Like we have to, as Christians, know that whenever a term is hijacked by secular society, mm. it's not going to have any interest to reflect the biblical ideas behind that term or mm. the or biblical origins behind that term. Mm-hmm. Evolu- language evolves like that. And so we just have to have to be aware of that. Mm. And when something like that does happen, we've, we have to make a choice. And that's, that's the, the, the starting point here is you either have to just – um, uh, you know, make sure that in church we are defining our terms biblically, um, and so you're fighting the evolution of language, mm-hmm. or at least mm-hmm. slowing it down in church mm-hmm. circles, or you can just, you know, um, sort of almost give up and hand that term over, and then create a new term to define what that originally meant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so you have to make that decision. Yeah. And the big difference, I think, between uh, – or the, or the big point of confusion is that pastoral and care together um, is, is, is merging together biblical requirements for elders specifically mm-hmm. and biblical requirements for every member of the church. Or even deacons. You know, there is even a big mix there, I think, yeah. as well. Like a lot yeah, of, I, I've just found what what um, what is largely put on pastors is actually the role of the deacon. I mean, it's a really weird thing that, that we would mix that up. But maybe it stems from not having a, a clear delineation of those two offices, uh, which I know yeah. a lot of denominations and churches don't. So, um, well, yeah. So I, I think I think I think that is true. And deacons are involved in it, but I think at its simplest level, it's a confusion between pastors and every Christian. Yeah. Um, so, so the the um, the reason for that is because the term pastoral obviously refers to the ministry of elders, because right. pastoral comes from the pastor, shepherd. It's the Latin for shepherd, mm-hmm. um, and Point so that main, is referring. Episcopus, yeah, same deal. So yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. you're into you're into all the synonymous terms for the eldership or the pastorate of mm. the of the the local church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you use pastoral, you refer to the specific ministry of the pastors. 
when you use the word care, <clears throat> it draws a whole bunch of associations, which are more in line with just the simple command to love one another. Right. Um, which is the responsibility of every Christian. Mm. <clears throat> and so what happens is churches begin to expect that the responsibility or the specific duty of the pastor is to love the church when in actual fact that's the commandment given to every Christian. Right. And what that normally looks like in the minds of people is how we talk about pastoral care today, which is um, sort of practical support and encouragement for those who who need care, who those mm-hmm. who are vulnerable in need, in need of help, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think even just um, the whole idea, well, you know, we are saying a pastor must love people and care for them, but it, there is, if you just think even of the, the sort of uh, lead-up situation in Act 6 where, you know, they're very much, obviously the apostles were very interested in caring for people and loving people, but were, uh, they, they knew that to move in a certain direction would be something that impedes that that the way in which God had gifted them um, and would impede the mission of the church, but it would also stop uh, the the ultimate need of the people from being met in that they needed to be instructed in apostolic doctrine. Uh, so they they need you know that would be the the greatest way for the apostles to be praying and ministering the word would be the greatest way to love the people at that point. Uh, despite their desire to do other things or even inclinations to do other things, this would be something they saw as as very really key. Now, I realize that's a proto-eldership, proto-diaconate, so to speak, but but in many ways the principles stand. And, um, and, you know, the same questions need to be asked once those lines had fallen as to, you know, what, what the distinct roles of, of the various offices were all about. Um, in what way can pastors most love? Uh, in what way can they uniquely love? In what way can they do something that perhaps others would not be able to do? And so, you know, just even in what you were saying, if you've got a, a pastor who is essentially uh, spending all of his time um, doing what you would not need to be trained to be a pastor to do, um, or, or called or gifted to be a pastor to do, then, I mean, it's reducing the point of the whole thing to meaninglessness. And um, and that person, while he could, the, the recipient of that care, could be loved in the same way and more ways, uh, is now reduced to only experiencing one kind of love without the pastoral love that, 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 that the pastor in that instance might need to be released for so that he could study, so that he could preach, so that he could do these other things. And I'm sort of bringing it back to preaching every time, but, you know, there's more than that, I think. You know, there's more than just preaching in prayer. Well, yeah, and I mean, so you got to, you've got to ask, you know, the, the biblical requirements for eldership mm. are that you have to be a Christian who exemplifies godliness. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the right character, a character of someone who's not involved in scandal and who is a, a, in some ways a model Christian, not a model of perfection, mm-hmm. but a, but represents the main aspects of godliness. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the second thing is um, must be able to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third thing is must be able to manage his household. Mm. Be- why? Because um, elders manage the household of God. You know, mm-hmm. they lead the people of God. Um, they uh, teach the people of God, and uh, and they also model uh, the Christian life through their their own behavior. Those are like the sort of the main character is leadership and teaching. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And you do not need to be able to teach to do what most pastors today consider pastoral care. Yeah. So, um, or what most churches today consider pastoral care. You, you do not have to be able to teach to go and sit and have tea with someone in their house mm. um, and, you know, listen to them and maybe say a few words of encouragement if they're going through a hard time and pray for them or mm. read a passage and pray for them. That is not an able to teach um, thing. That mm. is something that literally any Christian can do and should do. Mm. Um, and I guess this is this is the whole thing. So um, part of what skewed the whole process was the Richard Baxter reform pastor thing. Right, right, right. Um, and that was faulty in two ways. One, because it, the minister literally did do everything. Two, because those two. Baxter was a rascal. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three, because his theology I mean, was a freaking mess. Uh, yeah. You know? But, and yeah. four, because he forever tainted, um, particularly reformed view of of pastoral care. So I think it's something that's that's unhelpful. Mm-hmm. And um, the the other thing that kind of got me onto this was thinking about you know not just a, an explicitly New Testament thing, but thinking about the biblical theology of the whole pastoral ministry, pastoral right, care right, thing. Right. Um, is, you know, you start with what pastoral care is in the Old Testament. And mm. obviously, you know, ultimately God is the pastor. He's the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. <clears throat> um, but he appoints under shepherds. Mm-hmm. And as under shepherds are the prophets, priests, and kings. Mm-hmm. And uh, those under shepherds are meant to shepherd the sheep on the shepherd's behalf. Mm-hmm. And so when you get... Um, through to Christ, he is the fulfillment, not only of the Lord's my shepherd, but also of the prophet, priest, king, under shepherds. Mm-hmm. You know, he is the real prophet. He is the word. He is the uh, the high priest, and he is the king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, he, he fulfills that. Mm-hmm. And so in the church now, where does that come from? Or, or what happens now to the need of under shepherds? Mm-hmm. Well, clearly the under shepherds are the, you know, if you look at one Peter five, clearly the the under shepherds are the elders, mm-hmm. um, and and Christ is the chief shepherd, mm-hmm. and so um, so clearly that the elders are taking over the role of under shepherds that were previously the roles of the priests, the prophets, and the kings. Mm-hmm. But when you when you go into and, and this is um, you know, there were two really helpful books. The one is The Pastor is Public Theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is uh, The Pastor Theologian, I think it's called. Is that yes. what it's called? Was that with Carson and Piper? Or? No, no, that's, no, that's The Pastor is Scholar and The Scholar oh, right. is Pastor. Yeah. Um, no, I, I didn't think that one was as helpful. No, um, no. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I've got the wrong one. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so there was these two books, and they basically pointed out. I mean, I, to be honest, they were also a little bit disappointing. But okay. the the thing that um, one of them was better than the other, but I can't remember which one was mm-hmm. better. And the but the thing that it did re- drive home to me was that the task of being a prophet, mm-hmm. the task of being a priest, and the task of being a, a king were ultimately theological tasks. Mm-hmm. So the the king. Um, wasn't purely administrative or or to lead in warfare. That's what the, the kind of people wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, you know, the Deuteronomy 17 role of the king right. was really to, he had to be thoroughly immersed in the scriptures yeah. and he had to ensure that the entire kingdom was being governed according to the law of God. Right, right, the right. prophets 
they would reinforce the covenant. They were the covenant um, officers. You mm. know, they would be calling people back to faithfulness to that that law that the king was enforcing. Mm -hmm. And um, the priests were the ones who were functionally doing um, the ministry day in, day out, week in and week out mm -hmm. of uh, helping you know, people, particularly with the sacrificial system, but the whole gathering of people for temple worship, yeah. you know, was was that. So there was there were principally theological tasks. Mm. And so, how does the 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 elder needing to be able to teach? Um, how does that fit together with being the under shepherd thing? Well, it's because essentially elders are theologians for the church. Mm. Um, so their their management of the household of God is a theological management. They lead according to the word, mm. not just according to, you know, CEO management principles or according even to like sanctified common sense. That's obviously got to be there. But mm. the main responsibility is to actually lead according to the word. So to make structural changes when structural changes are hindering obedience mm. and mm. faithfulness and, um, and to exercise discipline, that kind of thing. Yeah, and even though structural the, changes are all going to be theological, I mean, they're going to be theologically driven, that's your only power of persuasion in the whole thing. It's almost like what, what ticks me off sometimes is you're, you know, you get the prophet-priest-king thing coming through, but but people are, um, you know, hey, well, I'm a more kingly pastor, so that what that means is uh, I'm just yes, only yeah. associated with, like, uh, what's his name, Maxwell and his leadership principles, <laughs> and, you know, like, I don't That's give right. a rip about Groovy theology. And all that. Yeah, I just, I'm a pragmatist, and well, whatever. Well, I, I don't actually, in, in, in my kind of exploration of this, I actually reject that. Oh, yeah. When specific, I... like, division of, of the threefold ministry altogether. Oh, like, okay. I think yeah, it's yeah. more just, yeah. it's more just that there were three kinds of right. undershaped in the Shadowed. Old Testament. Yeah, that's and right. Yeah. Now, exactly. And now they are fulfilled in the one kind of under-shepherd, yeah. which is the elder. Yeah, and even and the, so the, the, the link is under-shepherdness mm. and theology. That's the link. <clears throat> yeah. And I do think even in the Poimain Episcopas Presbyteron idea, that being synonymous, that's important as well in that, you, yeah, you don't have a threefold division there. You know, you can either be a Poimain no. or a Episcopas. You've got to be all three of them as a pastor is the idea. And yeah. um, and so yeah, and it makes a hang of a lot of sense as well when you read the the pastoral epistles and what Paul is saying to Timothy. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, is is essentially saying be a theologian for the church. Oh yeah, totally. You know? And yeah. that and that involves two things. That involves um, you watching your doctrine and mm. watching your life. Yeah, like that that is that is what you do, and that makes total sense when you see the role of the elders as being theologians for the church. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um. Yeah, which hey. means that pastoral care is mm. the work of theology. Yeah, not so that you know originally, and this is why I've sort of abandoned the term pastoral care mm. now. Mm. So, so for pastoral care, I just let that run in the evolution of language. Pastoral mm. care means caring for one another, but I've just made it very clear to our church that that is the responsibility of everyone. Don't be deceived by the word pastoral. Mm. That's not saying it's something the elders must do. Mm. Um, the elders must do it because they're Christians, and every Christian must do this. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. The elders, so like insofar elders as they are Christians first. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. they're not off the hook. No. Yeah. Yeah. But it just if it depends on only elders doing it. Yeah. Or even if it depends on mainly elders doing it, it's it's we're going to not be very good at caring for each other. Yeah. Um, whereas if we depend on everyone to care for everyone, mm. we're going to be much better at. It. Mm. Um, but not everybody can teach everyone, and I right. think that's the whole point. 
Yeah, that's good. Now, in terms of, um, okay, so that would mean, obviously, that's that's gearing it towards a strong focus in preaching. Uh, you know, you, you need to, you, you're the resident, well, you should strive to be the resident sort of theologian in the sense of being resident expert in the word. Um, just simply, yeah. you know, in that it would be a betrayal of your role if, if you've got all this time to pray and study the word, and yet you're not the expert of the word in your congregation. I mean, something's wrong there, right? And, um, and you know, we're, yeah. we're moving, at least you're, you're on a journey toward that. And, you know, I realize people come in at different levels and whatnot, but that's the goal. And, um, and, so, and that's not just the pastor, that's the elder, but obviously the pastor is going to have a little bit more time um, set aside for that if he's being uh, remunerated by the church. Um, but then the other thing is you have um, a strong focus on um, perhaps the the theological administration. So you've got, you know, I, I think it would largely fall to the eldership to write position papers, documents of that nature, yep. constitutions. Yep. Um, th- that's uh, the ruling element. Um, wh- and then, of course, the, the other thing that I would yeah, I'd be interested to see where you're landing here in terms of counseling. Um, because now we've got counseling in the sense that everyone can counsel everyone, and I get that. But it is also true that most ministry training, and, and the way I would see ministry training ultimately being most effective, um, or at least counseling training for, for ministry being most effective, is if that that counselor was counseling theologically, right? So he's not now, as a counselor, changing his preacher hat for a psychologist hat, and he's acting as a pseudo-psychologist within the yeah. church. But rather, he needs to be personally yeah. applying that word as an expert of the word um obviously there's there's more to to say than that but it's not less than that yeah and um and so yeah where would you see that as landing in the in the vision of pastoral ministry yeah 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 so i well at our church um and we've we've been through a series of of member meetings to uh, to to work this through, and mm-hmm. so this is now sort of official policy, if mm-hmm. you like. Mm-hmm. That basically, in the in the in the regular pastoral care of the church, if like one member is busy caring for one another member, they've been going around, they've been praying for them, um, they've been trying to encourage them, mm-hmm. um, sending them text messages with biblical passages, and you know, doing just the ordinary work of 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 caring for one another. Um, and then they realize, actually, hang on, this is this is getting very complicated. I don't actually know. It's, you know it, it seems like there's a, an intersection with a lot of deep theology. Um, that's at the point you hand over then to, I, I need a theologian for the church to come and apply good theology to the messiness of this life situation. Mm. And so that is what I would class as biblical counseling. Right. It's 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 theology in in a crisis situation, basically. Mm. Um so uh, in that sense, I think that definitely falls under what I would call pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. which is the ex- exclusive elders. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean that only elders necessarily can do it, but I do think it is the, it is the responsibility of elders right. um, to, to, to do it. And, um, but, but I do think we have to be like very super careful not to cross the line into the elders needing to be counselor counselors, like psych- like psychological counselors. Yeah, yeah, totally. Unless the unless an elder is actually qualified to do that, because right, which is you not... can. Yeah. Sorry, go. Well, 
just think because you can cause a lot of damage much yeah. in the same way that if you pretend to be a doctor and tell people they don't need antidepressants or um, if you pretend to be a social worker mm. and tell people that they don't need to report these things to the police you know what I mean like it's yes. it, um, you know you end up with the trap that some prominent church leaders have fallen into you know totally. um, yeah. you just you don't you don't want to go there Absolutely. Yeah, you're a theologian for the church always, nothing more, nothing less. And even there, I mean, you almost, yeah, exactly right. And and also not um, crossing the line on the, the clergy laity kind of priesthood thing um, as well, in that you become such a super, you know, um, professional individual at every sphere that, you know, you become the functional equivalent of the only one who can really save the other, you know, or something like that. You know, your job, even at... The, at that critical moment of counseling is really to point to a savior. It's a theological exactly, yeah. rather than try and come in as the psychologist and save, you know? Um, and so I, I yeah, found you're that the under shepherd yeah. pointing to the real shepherd. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that changes the nature of the way you would approach it entirely. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, um, and I think that, yeah, that's again, really important because you do see in, in seminary education, there's a little bit more emphasis on psychology mm. um, and a little bit more emphasis in kind of helping people in kind of crisis situations. And mm. I think that that belies the fact that we're actually buying into a more secular view of what the pastor's job is than a, um, yeah. than, than what has traditionally been. And also, like the other great thing about those two books that I mentioned earlier is that they just point out in history that just hasn't been the case. Like pastors have not been going around visiting people and having tea with them and praying for right, them. Right. Like, um, that they they have done that too, but that hasn't been a part of their it's a fairly recent their innovation. set apart yeah. ministry. Yeah, that's right. It is a it's a very recent innovation. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think that's that's really helpful. But it's also like I mean you you, you tie it together with the fact that the the elder who's worthy of double honor is mm. the one who's preaching mm-hmm. um you know and uh you you tie it together with um uh yeah i mean it's it's just amazing isn't it that the only elder who gets who, who needs to get paid is the one who's being set apart to teach well mm. why is that because he's he's you know giving up his time to be in a sense the full time yeah and even just it kind of crosses into the bivocational thing a little bit but um you know the the thing about that as well is just that you know it does take time you know you you, we talk about being the i think let's let's start this way in fact i think move on move forward on the conviction that every church does need a resident theologian it does need a a a preacher right and then you move backwards from that point just on a completely pragmatic you know level i mean you you can't do that unless someone is set aside i mean it takes time now and often people point oh paul made tents and all that stuff well Paul had already memorized the Old Testament and uh, knew Hebrew and Greek and, uh, you know, a few other languages quite well. So, you know, he um, he was an anomaly, let's say, uh, you know, as, mm-hmm. and to use him as the as the model on that particular instance for a guy who needs to come in at whatever age, typically, uh, hopefully a mature sort of age, and um, get his head around the uh, original context of the Bible, the original languages, and the theology involved, and then uh, every week labor to put out something that's not going to be total you know, trash, is going to take a lot of his time. And so you can't have that guy if 
his time is taken with things that God is not put in his pastoral uh, profile, so to speak, you know, his um, mm-hmm. his uh, list of duties. And it's just, it, it, it does start angering me sometimes um, because you, uh, two ways, you know, it starts corrupting the vision for pastoral ministry that, that's being pushed forward. But it also means that the, the, the state of the word is going to go down. The state of the pulpit is going to start degrading. The state of people in the way they truly yeah. primarily need to be loved by you is not going to be happening. And it's just, um, you know, that, that's got to be resisted. Yeah. And, and there are other problems as well, like, um, the, you know, the, that sort of particular view of pastoral care as the pastor visiting each member um, for a kind of semi-social visit. Mm. Um, yeah, even even when it was done well, and mm. there was a little bit like of Bible reading and prayer, mm. it was still, you know, a semi-social visit. And yeah. um, and the, w- what happened is that naturally gave the emphasis to those who could be accessed in their homes during the day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, gave emphasis to those who were sick. So automatically, yeah. Yeah. all of the elders' attention is going towards the elderly and the frail. Yeah. Which means that other aspects of pastoral ministry are being utterly neglected, like mm-hmm. the discipling of younger men, uh, the past, you know, entrusting of the gospel to faithful men who will entrust it to others. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the, you know, the the business of meeting up one to one to actually. Um, you know, to do biblical counseling when it was really needed and, mm. and to, you know, um, to, to disciple people in the church mm. who, you know, through intensive, uh, things or even just do more preaching, you know, it's just yeah. like, um, the, the, all of those things took a backseat to visiting the elderly and the frail, which sounds noble, you know, yeah, it does. But yeah. On yeah. The, but over, over time, essentially ages the congregation and, because and the younger guys seen, get neglected, the older guys get all the attention. That's right. We've and it also it. we've seen it all. I mean we're we're seeing well, where of, this course is, we're, yeah. of course we are. Yeah. And and also it creates narcissism because suddenly there's this view of I expect the most you know, what they see as the most important, most prominent people in the church to visit me. Yeah. And if yeah. they don't visit me, I'm going to kick off about it. Yeah. And, um, and that's nothing short of narcissism. Mm. I mean, we had a case where there was someone in our church who, uh, went through a hard time. They were visited by, um, maybe about 10 uh, members of the church a week. Wow. Um, they were, uh, they were, yeah, seriously, like the church is Jedi mm. and the, um, the elders were constantly praying for this particular person. Mm. And one of the elders was in touch with them um, via kind of phone call, text message, email, um, more or less constantly to find out how things were going. Mm. And at the end of it, they said, the church really let me down. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking, well, like the only reason you're saying that is because an elder didn't actually come into your house. Mm. But yeah. we were we, we were serving you all the time. We were making sure people were coming to you. We were praying for you. We were in mm. touch to find out what was going on. Mm. Like you know, um, and if that isn't good enough for you, you are I think drifting over into a kind of unhealthy selfishness, where you expect literally the whole church to stop doing 
the work of the church mm. so that it can come around to your house and spend time with you. And it just, it's, mm. I don't, I think that's an unprecedented expectation of what sort of care you should be getting. See it um, so often too. And, and you know, yeah. the, the problem is like when you push back on in my experience, talking to people who are very pastors who are big on pastoral visitation and, you know, just kind of almost embracing a, well, not even a Baxter model in that there is no uh, reformed anything usually, but, but um, the, 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 you try and ask, you push back on. Okay, well, so where is your scriptural conviction for this? What are you, what are you, where are you getting this from? You know, um, they come up empty. You know, they really do. There's just we've got such a wealth. Everything we've been talking about here, such a strong basis for moving forward in a yeah. certain way. The only, the only verse that I've ever heard used is. Um, no, sorry. There are there are two verses, um, and uh, the one is Paul went house uh, told the Ephesian elders about how he went house to house, and he was preaching. That's the whole thing, you know. He was yeah, preaching. no, there were churches. Yeah, yeah, you can't use that one. Um, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, and and you know also like our. All of our elders lead small groups during the week, so yeah. um, effectively they are going. Yeah, that's right. House to house, but um, the, yeah. So, so obviously that doesn't apply, but people do use that sometimes. And then um, just the more generic the, Christian the, ones that you were talking about earlier as well. That often, yeah, yeah, you get yeah. that, but you yeah. also get um, the 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 stuff about Jesus being a shepherd who knows his sheep, right? And so right. the criticism is. Um, you know that is, you know those pastors who do that really knew their sheep very well, and I think that that is true. Like uh, I think that um, that we what we're not advocating is for a distance between oh, the yeah. pastor and his people. That's a good point. Yeah. And what we're not advocating is that the pastor shouldn't that every person shouldn't have direct access to his elders. Totally. And um, even should they it, desire it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and we're certainly not saying that the pastor shouldn't know even know intimately. But I can I just say though that I have met up with people um, for years mm. on a more or less weekly basis and still be surprised to know that I didn't even know half of what was going on in their lives. And I never would have found out if it hadn't come out into the open. And so there is a sense in which just because you, you visit a member of your church mm. twice a year um, does not mean that you know them. No. By any stretch, yeah. So, I mean, so that's, that is that's a great. It's point. a good thing to do, but it's not a requirement, and I would argue not even the best way to go about doing it. Yeah, I but, mean that's what it's know. reduced to, you know, to make it work. I mean, because I think it's it's fair to say that if this things, you know, if you're gonna if the goal is to know them, you gotta you gotta find a way to actually make that happen. And if 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 the answer to that, which as you've just mentioned, tr- uh, typically is is you know a yearly visitation, you know, or, or something along those lines. I mean, that is not going to fulfill that requirement, like point blank. That's just not going to happen. Everyone's going to be uptight. No one's going to say anything meaningful. It's just that's not the answer one way or another. I mean, I think even just, you know, what if you any church, it's got to work realistically in a church of 100 or so, right? And, you know, I yeah. think that's totally fair. Probably it's going to have to work in a much bigger church than that. And so at the very least, you're dividing that task up to a whole team of elders at very least, which means the pastor's only going to know in that sense some of his flock anyway. But probably more what it means is he knows exactly who is in and who is out 
there's the process of membership. There's a, he knows who is who it is that he speaks to, who he stands accountable for. Uh, he knows their name. He knows that. He, well, at least he he prays for everyone in his flock regularly. I mean, that's a much more workable model, uh, even just sheerly on pragmatics alone, uh, let alone diving into the theology there. But yeah, to try and solve mm. that problem by once a year visitation is just ridiculous. You know, yeah. and um, and yeah, it, it takes a life of its own, as you say, which is not yeah. good. You know, one of the guys that um, just uh, I mentioned earlier that I think exemplifies the the role of the past and way, what it should look like is John Gill. It's one of the reasons I put that little book out. Um, his biography. Okay. I just love what he stand, what he stood for, and what's interesting is he often gets critiqued on that very point. Um, he, you know, he. He spends so much time in the books, you know, <laughs> only only man ever to have put out a commentary on, on every verse of scripture and write all the theology that he did, double volume, etc., uh, of systematic. Um, and so he gets critiqued, like, well, well, he couldn't have been a very good pastor. Um, and he, you know, I like the biography actually deals with that. And uh, it, it talks about him not being the kind of pastor that would be wasting time, you know, hanging out, just having a cup of tea. Uh, yet, if he was needed and it was, it was important and something that he alone could help with, he was there every single time. Um, the other thing that uh, was, was, was helpful is that, you know, the stuff that he wrote down and published pastored his uh, church in ways that we could hardly even understand today during a time of Unitarian uh, complete apostasy happening in the churches at the time. And, you know, only that that denomination really remained sound um, as they moved forward because of the way they were being pastored by these books that he was writing. I often feel like I've been pastored by these great, great authors in ways that, you know, I would only dream to be able to pastor my own flock. Um, and you see how that that element there is just so profound, and if it's missing, it's 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 missing in a way that can't be accounted for. And then you know one of the interesting, even provocative features is that he didn't want to take on an intern, um, which you know I've I've taken on an intern. We've already gone through that process, and uh, it was just interesting hearing uh, Rippon talk about it because he um, he felt that it would detract from his time, which it certainly would. I mean, like that's the number one thing. It's you're going to be giving away most of your personal time to this intern to train him, and you're not necessarily taking new ground yourself. You're more sort of um, just just helping them out, um, and and so he rejected that concept, and in the process, um, like wrote uh, enough to have interned a thousand ministers. In fact, they were all trained essentially by John Gill. So it was just, it's just a very interesting, I mean, obviously quite an extreme version of it, but, but uh, yeah, it's just a lovely pushback on so much of what's out there yeah. today, you know, uh, historically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it is just uh, at the very least, um, you have to acknowledge that that is a way of doing it, yeah. you know, yeah. which may or may, may not be the best way of doing it. Um, you know, that's at the very least, yeah. you say. That, yeah. that, that's the most you could possibly say about it. It's a way of doing it. It has some strengths, but it has some weaknesses too. Mm. Um, but I guess I guess the thing is, when you approach it actually from the doctrine of the biblical theological development of under-shepherding, mm. um, um, then you, you begin to realize that it's the theological task means that you have to prep. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the time... Um, 
You see, part of the problem is many of these pastors, many of these expositional preachers, they didn't give a lot of time. They they were able to crank out like two sermons in a day, mm. basically. Mm. Yeah, it, uh, you know, they would spend the mornings in the study, so mm. you know, three maybe four hours in the morning, and doing that would crank out sort of a midweek pre, uh, you know, mm. slightly shorter preach, mm. um, and two long. Sunday preachers mm. and um, whatever other stuff they may have, you know, prepped. So, so they're really not giving mm. um, much more than four or five hours mm. to a, a sermon. Mm. Um, you know, and that's just, it's just different. I don't understand how you could possibly understand or, or do just doing the, the, the kind of prep work in the background before you even start to think about how you're going to teach something. Mm. But when you look at those expositional preachers, it was more that kind of verse one says, verse two says, verse three says. So it was like, read the verse, give a thought on it. Read the next verse, give a thought on it. Um, kind of preaching, which is almost more like a meditation or a reflection, mm. um, yeah, a public quiet time, rather than saying, you know, here's the main focus of the passage. Mm, here's how it fits mm, into the context. Mm. This is, you know, what it meant for the original hearers. This is, these are some of the the biblical theological things you have to bear in mind, or the covenantal things you have to bear in mind. We're trying to apply it today, and so therefore, this is what it means to us. And mm. as a result, um, um, even though a church like mine has had the benefit of uh, what has been some very strong expositional preaching. Mm. Um, you know, faithful biblical expositional preaching for years and years and years. Mm. Still, uh, most of the folk in the church have no idea how to draw lines from the Old Testament to Christ, mm. um, because that was just never explained. Because that wasn't the focus of the sermon. The sermon mm. was just to give some brief word of encouragement, right. um, rather than to actually teach <clears throat> yeah. and to give good theology. Mm, totally. so, so you know, um, so. Th- there are there are different ways of of talking about it, but I think that's where Ralph yeah. ended on it. So that's good. Um, that doesn't that doesn't mean you don't do one to one work. I mean, I'm I try and meet up with as many people one to one as I can. But yeah, I'm, when I'm doing that, I'm doing that to to teach theology, to do Bible study, to uh, go through the 1689, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm, mm. This was the first. What we're talking about now was the first sermon I preached. Um, as a full-time pastor, and I emptied the church. I grew, I shrunk it down from like 80 to 30. That's how much people love this. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good going, actually. Oh, it's professional. Yeah, you still retained still retained a high percentage, though. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty right. good going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, hey, so let's. Uh, this has been a long one. Let's let's wrap it up. Um, great talk. And uh, you've written those things. Go check out ChristWithPursuit.com under his blog. And... Um, and go and read some more there and uh, thanks bro appreciate that no worries